Well, we're going to play a game, okay? And this game is called Guess Who This Person Is. I couldn't come up with a good name for this game, so it's going to be called Guess Who This Person Is. So I'm going to put, so here's how the, this game is going to work. I'm going to put a picture of someone up on the screen, and you guys are going to guess who in the world that person may be, okay? Capiche? No, look, picture. Dude, that's so awesome. I bet none of I bet none of you have actually seen George Washington. But yeah. That's George Washington. George Washington was an American military officer, statesman, founding father. He also served as the first pre president of the United States. So that's probably how you remember him. Let's go to the next person. Dude, on the podcast, they probably hear nothing because there's a lot of crickets in the room right now. That is William Henry Harrison. He was... MJ was close after I said it. Um, William Henry Harrison was an American military officer, similar to George Washington, politician who served as the ninth president of the United States. However, he died just 31 days after his inauguration in 1841. That's the shortest presidency in United States history up until today. Let's go to the next person. Dude. I don't know if that's true. I don't think it is. But that's Albert Einstein. Yeah. That's awesome. Albert Einstein was a German-born... He was a German-born theoretical physicist, widely acknowledged to be one of the greatest and most influential physicists of all time. Einstein is best known for developing the theory of relativity, but he also made important contributions to the development of the theory of quantum mechanics. Let's go to the next person. <laughs> Amelia Earhart is incorrect. It is Rosalind Franklin. She was a British chemist, or chemist an X-ray crystallographer, whose work was central to the understanding of the molecular structures of DNA, RNA, viruses, coal, and graphite. She was also a scientist. She had a lot of good contributions. You guys just don't know about her, I guess. Next person. Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan. I'm actually really surprised like half of you in this room did not know that. That's who, that's who MJ's named after, Michael Jordan. Um, no, I'm kidding. So Michael Jordan is a six-time NBA champion, six-time NBA Finals MVP, five-time most valuable player in the whole league, 14-time All-Star, 10-time scoring champ, and he's a Hall of Famer. Let's go to the next person. He <laughs> Just because he has a Portland jersey on does not make him Damian Lillard. Um, okay, Ant, you guys are wrong. Okay. This is Jarrett Jeffries, okay? He played a lot, like, 10 years ago, but he was an All-American when he was in college. He was Big Ten Player of the Year. He was first-time All-Big Ten, Big Ten Freshman of the Year, Gatorade National Player of the Year in high school, first-time Parade All-American, Indiana Mr. Basketball, but that was all before the NBA. He had no actual, like, accolades from the NBA except for the fact that he had a 12-year career. So why do I say this all to you guys? 
the first three people of every single, like, so we had, like, two presidents, two scientists, two NBA players. The first one of each, you guys knew right off the bat. But the second one in each list, you guys didn't know. And I don't blame you. I did this on purpose. Typically, we remember people by their accolades. We remember people by what they do in their life. We remember the players like Michael Jordan who dunked from the free throw line, who won six uh, championships, who led his team and is arguably the greatest player of all time. We remember people like that because they did stuff to earn it. Okay? And there's nothing bad about that. But when in our lives, we're trying to build ourselves up by the things that we do, it becomes bad becomes, because it becomes idolizing those things. It becomes, what can I do to be popular? What can I do to get known by people? What can I do to maybe build myself up in God's eyes? When really God's saying, you don't need these things. Let's look at one more person. I need you guys to guess who this one might be. Uh, the person on the right. That, or I guess your left. That's me in high school. Um, so I played baseball, basketball, and then I ran cross country and track. Thank you. Um, I, in high school, I kind of had it all together, so to speak. I had the scholarship opportunities. I had ministry opportunities that were helping me. I was leading a ministry at school. I, um, you know, I had a girlfriend for two years. And everything, like, on paper, it seemed like I had it all together. Because that's all that I was working towards was how can I make people see me in this line of sight that, man, James has it all together. But then I went to college. I got a running scholarship to Corbin. And that's me with... <laughs> With a mustache, too, mind you. Yeah. No. Listen, then there, there's me. I actually ended up finishing first for our team that day, which I felt really confident about. But here's the thing. I show you these two pictures because these are two different Jameses, okay? The high school me was a very, very sad, depressed, anxious weighted down version of who God wanted me to be. All I was striving for was the scholarship, the girl, the ministry opportunity, everything that the American dream might say is admirable. And then I got it and went to school to run, which I would argue is pretty cool. But then life crumbled in front of me. I broke my foot two weeks into my freshman year there. Almost lost my scholarship. I was single for two years and thought no one liked me. Any single time I tried to make new friends, I never got any. I spent my birthday all by myself. Like, everything that I thought I was building my life up to just crumbled. Because that's all I placed my trust in was the things that I was doing. And as we look at this passage of scripture in Philippians, Paul is saying, don't build your trust. Don't try to find joy in all these things. Don't try to build your religiosity on all these things. Because they make great hobbies. They great, make great goals. But they make really bad gods. When that's all we focus on in our life, 
our life becomes skewed and runs a million directions. So now, let's talk about the gospel. How does this relate to the gospel? Well, first off, if you remember from last week and the week before, we were talking about how to be lights in the world. How to be true Christians, how to serve one another in a world that is so chaotic. And now he's writing to encourage the Philippians. The first half of this book is all about be a light, be a light, do this, do this, do this. And now he's saying, okay, in addition to this, persevere. Because right now they're being persecuted by this group called the Judaizers. And so although that this book is kind of like labeled the joy letter or the joy book in all the Bible, sometimes it, in this passage alone, he's talking about you're getting persecuted, but here's how you have true joy. Don't try to build your religiosity up, but instead put your trust, put your foundation in who Christ is. Let him shape you. Let him be the one that forms you. Don't try to do it yourself. Let God do it. So let's read verse 1. It says this, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. So Paul is saying, I have no trouble writing this to you. Just like I have no trouble telling you guys, have joy. I will tell you all day, every day, you should have joy in the Lord. And I will never get tired of telling you that. And that's what Paul is saying here. Because in the face of persecution, and although this looks a lot different 2,000 years ago to Christians than it does now, I would argue you guys still uh, face a version of persecution. It's not going to look as difficult, most likely, but still is persecution at face value. It still is, most likely, you're not the cool one at a public school if you're a Christian. And if you are, maybe you're compromising. Maybe you're not. Sometimes, though, we compromise in order to be in the cool crowd, though. But sometimes when we don't compromise and we just focus on trying to be a Christian, people make fun of us for that. And that's what I would call a version of persecution. A lot of times when we walk with Christ, we face difficulty head on. We, feel, uh, we face hardships. That's what Paul is saying. I have no problem writing to you to tell you to have joy. Because joy is something I really want you guys to have. So he says this. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. We'll get to that part in just a second. But he says this, look out for those dogs. He's not talking about your household pet, okay? He's talking about, like, dude, there's some real, like, dogs, bad people out there. Watch out for them. Watch out for the evildoers, the ones who mutilate the flesh. What he's saying here is these Judaizers. That's what we call people who are really religious Jews who force things on people that really shouldn't be forced on them, okay? That's just the real simple way to put it. He's saying they're taking value in their flesh, he, said, he says this, for we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. 
This is kind of a little bit of a jab at the Judaizers. He's saying, we, we as the chosen people of God, the people who are Christians, we are the circumcision. And I'm not going to explain what circumcision is to you. Please don't look it up. Maybe ask your parents. That would be the best way to describe this. But that's when we say circumcision, that's like an old Jewish custom to like prove that you were a Jew. So like if you were going to do like a little task sheet of what it meant to be a Jew, circumcision would be on the top of that. So to say we are the circumcision means we are the chosen people. We are the chosen ones in Christ. We are made righteous by him. See, back in the old days, like I just said, check mark, that shows I'm righteous. I'm proving myself by doing these things and becoming righteous that way. But Christ, through his death on the cross, he made us righteous. We don't have to do anything to become righteous because Christ did it all. Therefore, when it says we are the circumcision, it means we are the chosen people. We are the righteous people in Christ. Not because we did anything for it, but because Jesus did it all for us. Therefore, making us chosen. And therefore, uh, Paul is saying we are the circumcision. We are the chosen ones. Does that make sense? It's kind of a weird little, like, analogy to, like, tie that. But it makes sense to these people. And so I'm hoping it makes sense to you. We are the chosen ones. We don't have to do anything in order to try to access who God is. But rather, we can just trust in who Jesus is. We don't, try to have, we don't have to try to make the checklist balance out. We can just say, hey, God, I want to be yours. And therefore, we're set free. We're made righteous. We don't have to work for it. We can just be called his by accepting it. So then Paul goes on and says, I have reason for the confidence in the flesh. And here's why. He says this in verse 5. Circumcised on the eighth day. So as I explain all of these, I'll explain why that's important. He was circumcised on the eighth day. A Jewish boy, when they were born, on the eighth day after they were born, they were supposed to be circumcised. That meant like you're a good, like your parents are good Jewish people who are setting you up right, righteousness. Then he says, of the people of Israel, which means he was a true Jew. He wasn't a new converter. He didn't go from being like non-ethnically like Jewish to just converting to Judaism. He was like born a true Israelite, okay? Of the tribe of Benjamin, which was one of the most honored tribes in Israel, a Hebrew of Hebrews, which he was circumcised, true Jew, and honored and an honored group. That meant he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. And so then he goes on, he says this, as to the law, a Pharisee. That means he, means he was one of the most religious people there was. He followed the law to its heat. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. He killed Christians, many Christians. Because he thought the Jewish God was the right one, and they were just mocking that. So he killed them. He killed many of them. He said, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. No one, can under, no one could ever find fault under his name. He lists all these things. And they're to say, dude, if anyone wants to try to compare themselves to me, I got it all. If he's the Michael Jordan 
of like Judaism, or if there was anyone that was a Michael Jordan of Judaism, it would be Paul. He says, I did this, 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 and that. So if the Judaizers try to tell you anything, I got them beat. It's kind of like if I were to try to like run a basketball camp, right? I played basketball in high school. I could probably run a decent basketball camp. But if Michael Jordan walked in the room and was like, hey, bro, I'm taking it over, I'd be like, yes, you are. You are way better at basketball than I will ever be. See, when someone of, like, status that has done things, like, has authority and says something, you listen to them. Same thing with Paul. He says, dude, I've done this, this, and this, and this. You can listen to me. You don't have to listen to the Judaizers. I got them beat. Okay? Does that make sense? Paul is saying, don't listen to them kind of like a weight scale if you put like everything like on one side of the weight scale and that was all Paul's stuff right on the, like the right side and all the Judaizer stuff was on the left side Paul has them beat everything that he does anything that he's ever did anything he's ever done is outweighed so let's look at verse 7 through 11 it says this but whatever gain I had I counted a loss for the sake of Christ Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may, may attain the resurrection from the dead. What Paul is saying here is it's not about your status. No matter what you do, you don't get closer to God that way. You can grow in your relationship with God. Do not get me wrong. But if there was like a hierarchy of like, okay, this person has done 65 different things and this person's done 105 different things that therefore they are closer to God because of Christ that doesn't exist and because of Christ we need to have humility in Christ do you guys remember how we talked about that how we ought to look at ourselves or others above ourselves and that's what true humility is it's same thing with this if we have humility in Christ that means that we have to drop everything. Humility in Christ means we have to drop everything. Christ dropped everything for us. He went to the cross for us. He died, was humiliated, and rose again so we could have eternal life. If he can drop everything for you, this means we can drop everything for him. Now, this doesn't mean that, like, if I do basketball, if I do a sport, I, have, I can't play anymore, James said. No, don't hear me saying that at all. In fact, I challenge you guys to constantly make yourselves more well-rounded and do more things. But what I'm really saying and how we drop things is we don't cling on to those things. In fact, in high school, when I was doing, like, cross-country and everything, I constantly was getting injured over and over again, and I'm almost convinced that it was God's way of being like, James, you just, you need to stop, bro. You're becoming prideful. You're becoming arrogant. You're rubbing this in people's faces. You're allowing a stupid sport that means nothing in the sense of eternity to dictate how you treat people. 
I was clinging on to it because it gave me a sense of identity. It was my identity. I was clinging on to it. So to have humility in Christ, that means we have to drop the things that we cling on to. If it's popularity, if it's accomplishments, if it's the hobbies that they become your identity, you have to drop it. We need to surrender them to him just like he surrendered all to us. Anything we've gained from the world for the sense of our status, great. It lasts for maybe like 80 years. But then when, for the rest of eternity, is it ever going to matter? Only our relationship with Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, is going to matter. Another aspect that we need to consider is all the stuff that we lose helps us understand Christ better. It helps us have a surpassing knowledge of Christ, as Paul said. Which is surpassing knowledge of Christ means I know him deeply. Knowing him deeply means that I understand that my works cannot do anything to gain me access into heaven. Only Jesus can. Let me say that again for anyone who might have missed that. Our works cannot gain us access into heaven. Only Jesus can. If you feel exhausted by trying to get closer to God, because you're trying to become a nicer person. You're trying to become someone who might seem more favorable in God's eyes. Maybe you're trying to become more favorable in the eye of someone you have like a crush on or your friends or popularity groups or whatever. Let me save you the exhaustion and tell you that doesn't matter. Jesus is saying, I'm here. I'm offering myself up. I can only get you to heaven. You cannot do that. By anything you will ever do, your works will not get you there. Only he can. And Paul knows that. He knows that Christ outweighs all the stuff. If it were about, and that's why Paul lists all those things. He's like, dude, I did this, 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 and this. If it were about all that stuff, yeah, Paul would be like the only one allowed to go to heaven. Because he's done all that stuff. But in fact, Paul says, it's like garbage. The Greek word that he used there is, called, is pronounced skubalon, which means any refuse, any as the excrement of animals, offscurrings, rubbish, dregs, which is, are kind of fancy words for just like animal poop. It's worthless. It means nothing. Your works that you try to do, if you're trying to be a nicer person, if you're trying to be a more righteous person, they don't mean anything. Only the love and blood of Christ means anything. Now, do I mean that you shouldn't ever do anything? No. But once we come to a surpassing knowledge of who Christ is, that makes us want to change and then walk out our faith and just run to him. Knowing Christ helps us realize I need to run to him daily, harder and harder every day until the last breath I take. Because if I don't run to him every single day, if I don't try to read my Bible, try to be in a relationship with other people, if I don't try to pray every day, I'm going to find myself focusing on what the world has to say, and then I'm going to focus only on what the world does. And C.S. Lewis says this, if we find ourselves with a desire that is nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we are made for another world. 
if we try to search for the things of this world, we're going to realize that nothing in this world can satisfy our deepest desire. That's what he's saying. We were made for another world, and that's to be with Christ daily. Christ is our end goal. Not trying to work our way up to him. Not trying to fill the satisfaction, like, try to be satisfied by what the world has to say over here. But rather living with him for the rest of eternity. Um, Like I told you, I, when I got to college, I broke my foot. So immediately I was out of running because you kind of need both feet to run. I know, new concept. But quickly I realized that, okay, I can't really do this on my own. I need the Savior. I was going home every weekend. I was messing up, making really stupid decisions. And I came to school one day um, after spending a weekend at home. And I went to my Bible study class where I actually we were lo- looking at this these 11 verses for 15 weeks. It was intense. And I came and I sat in the back of the classroom with my buddies. And I got out a notepad. And I just wrote a line down the middle. And on the left side were all the ways I was struggling at home. I said, dude, I'm not, I'm doing this. I'm doing this. I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. I'm trying to fill my satisfaction tank by doing all these things. And on the right side of the column, I wrote, okay, I'm going to read my Bible instead of going on Instagram. Check. I'm going to pray instead of talking to people I shouldn't be. Check. I'm going to go and be in a Bible study instead of hanging out with people I definitely should not be with check. And I, went just, I just went down the list and I said, I'm doing this instead of this. I'm doing this instead of this because only Jesus is going to ever satisfy my deepest desire for feeling loved and valued and accepted. And then I realized a year later, I was leading a ministry at our school. I turned my life around tremendously. And I thought it was all because I had turned my life around. And we, it was the week of, like, my birthday and everything. And I was like, man, this is going to be a sick week. And I was, like, leading discipleship groups, leading devotionals and all this stuff. And we had three different worship nights that we did in one week. And it got to the third worship night. And I was tired. I was like, God, like, come on, like, give me some strength to do this. And in the back of my head the whole time, it was just like, dude, I just need a Red Bull or something. Like, whew, I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I'm just tiring myself out. Just get a Red Bull, right? I didn't. But I went to my car after that was all said and done, and I just, I was like, I went on a drive, and I realized, hold up. A year ago, I was in this place of I'm screwing my life over. I'm flushing it down the drain. I'm hanging out with people I shouldn't be. I'm doing things I definitely shouldn't be doing. And... Now I'm doing the opposite of I'm just trying to work to get God's favor. And both of these are so exhausting. Because on one end of the extreme, I'm not doing anything. I'm not allowing him to shape me. I'm not allowing him to do anything to win me over. I'm just 
giving over to the world's satisfaction in every possible way that I can. And on the other end of the extreme, I'm just trying to work to get God's pleasure. I'm trying to get work to, for other people to see that James is this disciple of Christ that is putting on all these ministries. And both are so exhausting. And I realized for one second in my, like, for the first time in my whole life, God, you just want me to rest in your arms. You want me to realize that you can only do this. And I need to stop. I need to just wait and realize, okay, I need to do something with my life. I can't just do nothing. But it's going to be because you give me rest. And no one else does. <laughs>